0: Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Emily Morris, founder and CEO of Emergy. Emergy is an energy technology company disrupting power generation using modular hydropower systems. In other words, they're turning unused water flows into energy resources. And in the episode, Emily and I will discuss the traditional version of hydropower and how Emergy is less red tape, far less construction, and many years quicker than those approaches. Securing millions of dollars from the US Department of Energy, how exactly the product offering works and what types of waterways are feasible for their technology. And finally, the different adjacent markets that Emergy is exploring over the next few years. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Emily Morse, founder and CEO of Emergy. Emily, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Emily, let's start with the fundamentals. What is Emergy.
1: Emergy. is a distributed hydroelectric company. Um, you probably heard of distributed generation for power, whether that's distributed solar or distributed wind. And typically, that distributed word differentiates between something that is centralized and has a high capital cost and is has power that's transmitted long distances to something that is smaller, more versatile, more flexible, and delivers power really close by to where it's generated. Truly today, there's in many regions of the world, distributed hydropower is quite critical and beloved, uh, especially in developing countries where you may have small hydroelectric facilities that are almost always custom and bespoke and probably quite difficult in a number of ways to to adapt to the environment and there really has not emerged a standard distributed generation um, offering in the water space uh, typically hydropower for centuries has been a very localized solution. And it makes it very difficult to scale in a massive way. And mm-hmm. so where Emergy is centered is really around how to bring those attributes from distributed solar and distributed wind that have made them able to serve so many people across the globe so quickly, which is standardization, modularity, even, even adopting some of the direct components and subsystems from those industries like PV solar. I power electronics, and bringing that into an innovative design that is proprietary to Emergy, where we have built out a module for hydroelectric that we're first implementing in water infrastructure. But you can imagine this being a building block that can make distributed hydroelectric resources much more common and available all throughout the world. And so that's what we've been focused on over the last five years and are really excited to be introducing this into the market um, now. Wow.
0: So I think uh, a really good place for us to start is to explore the state of affairs up until Emergy. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So I can see right on the site, Emergy delivers clean, reliable hydropower without the need for construction or dams. Mm -hmm. So up until Emergy's existence – What was the status quo? How were countries and governments utilizing water as this unique power source?
1: Sure. That's a great question. And when I started Emergy, that's what I spent a lot of time doing. I didn't necessarily invent this technology in my garage or anything like that. In fact, I was working on this within a government contracting setting in a previous role. And much of my job was really looking at what the state of the art is, how this tech is differentiated from other existing offerings. And in in hydro, as I mentioned, really what I saw was Was all the technologies I looked at up until Emergy really fell into one of two categories. One of them was an inland hydroelectric opportunity or option that typically relied on physics principles for relieving pressure. So when you think of power generation um, in hydro, you often think of a reservoir or dam that impounds water, builds up that potential energy and pressure, and then releases it. And that release of pressure and the force of gravity is what actually the turbine optimizes on. And that that's something that can be very highly efficient. It can be very power dense and that's one reason why regions that have major hydroelectric facilities like Hoover Dam or Grand Coulee experience such incredible low-cost electricity because they that power can be really valuable and controllable and whatnot. However, it's not every day that you can build another Hoover Dam or another Grand Coulee and in fact, those projects really just aren't being built at all anymore. The environmental invasion of damming up this water and and flooding communities for building new reservoirs is just something that can't be done now in the 21st century. And as a result, the average age of, of hydroelectric facilities in the United States is just getting older and older every year. And in fact, we're removing more dams today than we're building. And so I knew that those options were, were a dying breed, even at the small scale. Even if you build a mini dam or something like that, they're still incredibly difficult to get permitted. Anytime you have a shovel full of dirt, you can expect at least mm-hmm. four to five years in licensing um, and permitting here in the U.S. And so I knew that any technology that required construction was going to layer in a number of challenges that would be difficult to scale. On the other hand, the other bucket of companies that I saw or technologies that I saw were in-stream style technologies, not unlike what emergy's is building that capitalizes on the inherent kinetic energy of the water rather than the potential energy in an impoundment. However, most of those companies, if not all of those companies, were focused on either riverine or marine and tidal applications. And again one of the things that became very clear to me is that the stakeholder relationships the permitting the time to market was going to be decades i saw some famous examples of companies that had uh, been very well funded and had you know quite compelling technology but would be stuck in permitting processes for over a decade to just to try to do early field trials and so i knew that we didn't have the time to wait to bring this type of uh, solution to market and that's really where i i came to the conclusion that a construction free option that could be installed into a location that has limited environmental regulation and permitting requirements would enable a very quick go to market for the company. And or for at the time, a budding company, I was doing this sort of in advance of, of starting emergy officially. Mm-hmm. And and that's a, in a startup you make decisions at the beginning and many of them change, but some of them really stay the same. And that's one decision that has Really, we've lived with for the last five years that has never changed is really staying to our core focus, which is how can we bring these projects to market, show operational efficacy, and grow um, our market presence as quickly as possible. And we believe that a non-construction option that utilizes water infrastructure, which not just in the U.S., but across the world, is, is considered man-made brownfield environments with limited environmental permitting will enable us to bring the solution to the most people as quickly as possible.
0: That's remarkable. I'm, I'm wondering, right around the point of epiphany, because I can see when you were at AMT, for years, you were researching these core problem areas, then helping manifest the next step, helping develop these sustainable practices, designing and producing Mm -hmm. new solutions. At what point did you say, I'm going to leave AMT, launch your own thing? And then also, how did that first mile culminate? Did you get a grant to explore it seriously? Really, what did that first mile look like?
1: yeah, well, there there was really two trigger points that drove me um, to be confident enough to go out on my own. The first one was a shell. Future Energies Challenge that I applied to under Emergy when Emergy didn't exist yet. And I was still working in AMT. I was really compelled by the attributes of this technology that were really exciting. And I filled out an application to this challenge where lots of new technologies in the energy space may be competing. And I I went through the process, they had a couple of rounds of judging, and it turned out Emergy won third place in the challenge out of I'm not sure how many technologies at the time. But that was validation that told me that there was interest, that others saw this vision and that there really was something that could grow legs here, and uh, so that was the first sort of validation point. Interestingly, I started networking with all of the judges on on that, which was a panel of experts from different utilities. And and funny enough, I actually made my first hire for Emergy was one of the judges no of, of that, yeah, of that event. And so that was, it took me almost two years to to convince him to leave Duke Energy to come over into Emergy, but that was. Is um, a really pivotal sort of exercise for us, really just to confirm that there was validation from various stakeholders. the judges were all from very notable energy companies or utilities And it it gave me that pulsing and understanding that I should go for this. And then the second thing was I was very well versed in government contracting, government sponsored research, and how to access government funds, which is not necessarily something that comes naturally uh, to everyone who might be out there starting a business, particularly, but in the deep tech or hard tech space. But it's absolutely critical to be able to support the capital intensive actions, including prototyping, heavy engineering, things like that for bringing a product like this to market. And I kept my day job and uh, I started applying for federal funds through Emergy. And that's one reason why our incorporation date is back in 2014. But I didn't, I didn't start working on this full time till midway through 2016. Really, as a result of uh, spending time, business planning, developing these validation points, and then ultimately seeking funding, and you know that's where I was able to secure a Department of Energy grant for about one point one million that came through in early twenty sixteen or mid twenty sixteen, and not only is was that. The funding I needed to bring in technical partners to really vet out the technology and to be confident that we had now financial support to come over full time. But in addition, that validation from the federal government is something that early angel investors really love to see. And so mm-hmm. I was able to to use that in my pitch across angel networks, impact networks, accelerator programs, mostly focused in the southeast, but also some national programs to secure our first angel capital as well. So around mm-hmm. the same time, we brought in $850,000, a really early angel capital that sort of allowed me to launch the company at $2 million and be able to start looking at initial pilot opportunities, locations for field trials, things like that, to be able to start really putting one foot in front of the other and making this a reality. Wow.
0: That is amazing. I'm wondering, at that time, you secure over a million dollars from ARPA. You raise $2 million in aggregate. Did you have a technical partner in crime to help you build prototype number one? Are you technical by nature? How were you able to showcase the product offering, even if it was – just a skeleton version of it in that early day?
1: Yeah, I had tons of support. And by tons, it's important to note that it always takes a village to be uh-huh. able to do something like what we're doing. No one person can grow the the market side, the tech side, and all of the other activities alone. And as a startup, there's always seasons. Or I, as a mom of a two-year-old, I see it people have always talked about startups being a baby, but I see it more clearly now than I ever have, that each stage of a startup, you really need very specific skill sets. And those skill sets evolve over time. And back then, I had very highly technical Georgia Tech professors. I had the gentleman I already mentioned from Duke Energy and really was working very diligently to prove out and validate the technology while also um, doing it through a perspective of what power utilities and energy stakeholders were going to require for new companies coming you know, out to market. And there, it was always a small team. We've always been a really small, scrappy team. And not necessarily just focused on how much venture capital we can bring in to grow a big team. It's always been about how can we as efficiently and as nimbly as possible prove out the validation points to be able to grow a company sustainably and bring the highest impact solution to market.
0: I'm curious, when I look at all of the literature I've found on Emergy in the early days, it's pretty remarkable how core the city of Atlanta has been to Emergy's journey. As an Atlanta native and as someone who's grown and helped launch Emergy on the shoulders of Atlanta, I'm curious, in what ways has the city been instrumental to launching Emergy into the market? And then stress testing the product offering.
1: Yeah, it's been awesome to be a startup in Atlanta. Atlanta is not necessarily known to be a clean tech startup hub. Of course, we do have. Uh, great support here in, in Atlanta for cybersecurity, health tech, things like that really thrive here in the city. Typically, if you want to be the archetype startup energy company, you want to go to Boston or you want to go to San Francisco. And so I knew that starting emergy in Atlanta would be a bit. Unique, but Atlanta is my home, and it's always been a place where, obviously, uh, I can grow my network and find the support as well that that I know exists here. And so, interestingly, especially being a say somewhat smaller city in this regard, not just for startups, but also just for for the overall size of the city as well. Interestingly, I made a cold call up to the city's economic development. Um, authority. And I figured if they're a public agency. They have to take my call. And so I, I called them up and was able to route my way to who's now the executive director at the time. I think it was maybe she was maybe one level down and she took my call and talked to me for 30 minutes about the, what I was trying to achieve and how important. Incredibly important it was that for a technology that's going to be utilized on government infrastructure, water is managed governmentally for very good reasons all across the country, that I needed to be able to have exposure and testing within a government infrastructure environment. And I think from a timing perspective, it was serendipitous, not not necessarily planned on my part, but this the city of Atlanta was actually in the process of launching a, a program they called the Innovation Center, where companies like Emergy could come and test their products on city infrastructure at at no obligation to the city to purchase, but also at no cost to the company to, to perform. And it provided a fertile testing ground to be able to learn the ins and outs of how that the city departments work that would ultimately be your customers and to be able to get very quick exposure to them and testing ground for for your solution. And so we were the first company to be inducted into that innovation center we were connected directly with the city's water Department of Watershed Management, and we were able to install a pilot system at uh, the city's largest wastewater treatment facility. And not only did we get great connection with plant management and operation staff to be able to understand you know, the ins and outs of product market fit and what. Uh, issues were going to be very important to them. But we also were able to grow in relationship overall at the city, which was quite also in some ways serendipitous in that the city coincidentally and separately also had launched their first seed fund. And they were utilizing fees that were paid to the city from real estate developers and started a small seed fund. And Emergy was also the first company to receive seed capital out of that fund as well. to see the city not just support us in in developing how we can bring a product to market, but also support us in being a venture partner is unparalleled. I'm really not aware of of many other cities that participate so deeply in the ecosystem that they foster. And so it has been An incredible value, and something that really I think has shaped how Emergy has grown altogether, because these. As we seek out new governmental customers, typically these are not the most risk-tolerant customers. And so when when we then proceeded to develop a relationship with the city of Denver, it was really important for them to know that the city of Atlanta had also had experience with this, had invested in this, and was supportive of this. And so it was a launchpad like none other to be able to take this and now bring it out to other cities based on Atlanta's experience.
0: That's incredible. Uh, I want to segue into the shoes of a customer. So my question is twofold. A, what is the criteria for a capable waterway that would be a viable install site for energy products? And then two, what does that checklist look like for a, a city manager or someone that wants to green light this project? Is it uh, a many months process? What is the spark notes of how the process works from first engagement to getting one of these installed into one of our cities?
1: great question i'll try to keep this super general and if there is any if there are any listeners out there that this resonates with and and you want to speak further please reach out to us because it is not quite as simple as what i'm about to to describe but generally speaking the physical footprint of our equipment is about the size of a car. And so you have to imagine a waterway large enough for a car to be able to sit down inside. So that's one of the first sort of feasibility points. We're not necessarily, and with a no construction mantra, putting this deep underground or inside pipes or anything that ultimately can be construction points or failure points for, for water conveyance. We look for open, Channels that are at least six feet wide and have water flow that's at least three feet deep. And so when you think of that, you can often think of water treatment facilities, particularly wastewater, where there's typically the the end of the process where the water is clean and being discharged out into a river or other environment. You can think of water conveyance, like a municipal water supply canal that brings water potentially into the city for drinking purposes. You can think of industrial facilities that that have water as a byproduct and areas where that's discharged. You can think of agricultural and irrigation canals or even oil and gas or other types of refining activities that would have significant water or even mining applications. But nonetheless, you need a stream of water that's at least six feet wide, at least three feet deep. And then in terms of flow rates, there's lots of different metrics for how to quantify the actual flow volume through that environment. But if you're looking at the channel and you can do a quick velocity test by throwing A piece of fruit or, you know, an apple or something into the water and timing how fast it flows down. You really want water flow that runs at a minimum of around two to three feet per second. And so in in those environments, you can envision an energy system working well to be just placed right into that waterway. It harvests that inherent uh, flow velocity and energy in it in the form of torque and speed around a shaft. That will turn a propeller essentially that that torque and speed will flow up through an electric generator and then into a PV solar inverter so that uh, that way the power is clean, conditioned and grid ready right there on the spot. So whether you wanted to use one turbine to power a farm pump or other type of agricultural gate or sensor or whether you want to connect by conduit hundreds or even thousands of these turbines for distribution level power um, at the grid scale, then really you have that modular ability to do each one of these turbines in that PV inverter. We use a string inverter that will be somewhere between 10 and 40 kilowatts and will represent somewhere between 100 and 500 solar panels right there at the module level. In a footprint that is in that same sort of six foot uh, wide footprint, there.
0: Wow. So, if let's say I'm a city manager and a few of our waterways check the boxes on kind of those key feasibility points, is the install process relatively smooth sailing? What am I in for when it comes to time from? coming on site to install. What does the investment look like on my end?
1: Sure. So first and foremost, working with Emergy, we aim to keep it as simple as possible. And we want to remove all barriers to being able to Generate distributed hydroelectric within your infrastructure. And so, if there are, if you're a city manager and there are water flows that you know of that would meet this criteria, really you can engage with us in first in uh, three ways. You can work with Emergy to invest into and own your own distributed hydro solution where you can have ownership of the equipment over its 30 plus year life and purchase the equipment for the infrastructure. If you're not sure, or obviously we all know with with city budgets that funds are limited. And so you can also lease systems like this for finite periods of time or lease to own to make sure that this will work well for you. And then finally, we actually partner direct with cities Where with simply providing access to the water flow, we can come in, we can develop the system, we can monetize the system through um, providing power into the utility grid and generating revenues from that. And we can share the revenues with the cities or with agricultural districts and other organizations like that. And so really... Even uh, with no capital on the table, you can engage to have a distributed hydro system immediately. And then what happens next is that it's actually really quite simple. Our, Our Turbines are fully standalone and they require no construction, as I mentioned a couple of times. And so we bring four in at a time on a flatbed truck. We can place them right into the channel uh, using either an on-site piece of equipment. The lift is about six tons. And so often cities have ample lifting equipment to be able to place that into a channel if the, the access to the channel is quite distant, then having a crane to make those installations will be necessary, but it's all very simple equipment. We can install typically between 10, 15 of these uh, per day and with, let's say, one day or, a few, day, or sorry, a few hour either disruption to the water flow to shut it off or you don't even have to shut the water off uh, to be able to place these inside the channel these can be installed very quickly and then really the the only activity left is wiring and connecting in to to your power demand or to your grid and so in doing that the advantage of using a PV solar electron uh, P, uh, PV solar inverter essentially enables any solar installer to be able to install this system and so you can imagine all the places with solar, on the rooftops or on carports. There is a very broad industry of electrical expertise in the solar installation world where this is the exact same technique. And so uh, really anything proprietary is happening from the turbine to the inverter. And then any local electrician or certified solar installer or something like that uh, can certainly take the power from the inverter, which is 480 volt, three phase, fully grid ready power, and be able to bring that to where it's needed, either you know, on site or to the grid. And so the actual installation process is extremely simple and extremely cost effective and extremely quick. And that's something that is absolutely by design. Our customers don't want multi-year projects or groundbreakings. You know, they want a solution that can be delivered quickly and that can demonstrate value immediately. And one thing that I have glossed over that I do want to just hint, uh, touch one minute on is the permitting process. And as I mentioned before, one of our major focuses and the reason why we focus on infrastructure primarily is because of the ease and access to it from a permitting perspective. From the federal level, there are permit and license exemptions for power projects that are completed within a conduit, a water conduit that is use, that is a man-made environment used for water, either treatment or conveyance. And with that, really, the jurisdiction on permitting typically is either local or it is often these governmental entities are self-certifying. And so projects can be completed extremely quickly without any delays in the physical activities from permitting and that's something that enables rapid deployment and of course not what we consider very non-controversial because we don't have any protected lands or other type of consideration that or fish and wildlife any other consideration that would absolutely need to be taken care of prior to installation and it's, it's a very strategic um, market for us as well. In addition mm-hmm. to, of course, a very impactful one, energy consumption for water conveyance is extremely high, really at getting right to the center of the energy water nexus and being able to supply a solution that can serve the heart of that is the area where energy really sits within. And so being able to take these water flows and turn them into sources of renewable carbon-free electricity is really just a really fun adventure and an honor to be able to do.
0: It's such a, what I, I find pretty remarkable here is it's It's common sense. We have all of these waterways, which are power generation havens sitting there untapped. And with relatively little investment, when you talk about traditional approaches to utilizing water as a power source, this wins on virtually every single front. (laughs) So it's just so freaking cool.
1: Well, it's funny. You don't know how often I walk into a new water district's office and they say, this was my idea. This was something I wanted to do a few decades ago. And I was never able to for one reason or another. And one One thing I remind them is that really a few decades ago, this would have been incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to do. With the advent of distributed solar and wind, so many things have been made easier, not just from a psychology standpoint and the paradigm that energy doesn't have to come from a really big facility out in the mountains that's transmitted long distances, but Also, in terms of tech development, I've highlighted a couple of times now the use of solar power electronics in our system. And and I can't underscore how incredibly enabling that is. It's um, not something that is super simple and plug and play as it might sound. There is a good bit of development and engineering that's required to be able to use those systems to control hydro rather than to control solar. But it enables power conditioning and grid preparation at a cost that's really never been able to be done before. Even five years ago, the cost of PV solar inverters were in the thousands and it really would have priced this system out of the market or required us to do highly custom systems that could that would also be very expensive. But now with the Billions or now actually trillions of dollars of investment that have gone into these industries in terms of solar and wind over the last couple of decades, we see the the opportunity to be able to leverage many of the advantages that have been developed in those spaces as well, which you know, now that we can put a solar inverter on our systems that cost us in the hundreds of dollars rather than thousands, this becomes something that's actually marketable and cost competitive immediately right out of the gate. And so Mm -hmm. it's something that is a very simple design. It is a very simple principle in many ways, but it it takes a lot of engineering to make that simplicity a reality. And we're seeing a lot of enthusiasm around this especially water tends to be a very generational uh, type of career and so many of these district managers we speak with they have been watching the water run for the better part of their careers and knowing that there's energy in there that they should be tapping into but don't have a solution to be able to do so that doesn't disrupt their operations and that's what we're proud to be able to to share with them.
0: Mm-hmm. And clearly what you're doing is working. In December, I can see that your company was awarded $3.6 million from RPE. So they're doubling up – actually, if anything, they're tripling up on their first kind of uh vote of confidence a few years back. And when we first kicked off, you teased that y'all would be exploring – new avenues and opportunity areas for the products you've built. So I'd love to hear as you look forward beyond the waterways, the traditional waterways that you're working with today, where else can we expect to see Emergy's product offerings retrofitting or existing throughout cities and towns?
1: Great question. And I'll start by saying I don't think you'll necessarily see one of these in your backyard anytime soon. There are still many natural waterway protective regulations, which are very important. And we believe those are quite valuable for a reason. We won't necessarily be venturing into that space anytime soon. But first, let me just mention that we see infrastructure as not just a, an initial market segment, but we see this as a massive opportunity globally. According to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, there's an estimated over 2 million miles of water infrastructure globally that's used in agriculture. And as from the infrastructure uh, perspective, these are all man-made environments. And so these are places where people live and work and have their livelihoods, even if they are in relatively rural locations globally. We see that market alone as a an exciting location where clean, renewable, carbon-free power should be developed. And so we ha- we will be strongly focused on infrastructure for the foreseeable future. That said, what we are developing is a platform that can serve a number of different applications. And utilizing this type of technology in a riverine or marine environment is something that, as you correctly pointed out, is one of the things that DOE's ARPA E is funding Emergy to do right now is to really look at our system as to how it may be able to drive value in those areas like oceans or rivers where the inherent physical power potential. Is orders of magnitude higher um, than it is in small sort of infrastructure environments, and so you know that is one thing that I would say there is significant political tailwind behind is developing solutions for these bigger water opportunities that cannot be dammed and that wouldn't require a product style or a technology style like what Emergy is building. But we also see exciting potential to bring renewable energy into, I would say, what are conventionally not thought of to be uh, sustainable industries, such as mining, that, of course, uses incredible amounts of water and can be quite environmentally destructive in a number of ways. But the, the modern livelihood that we all enjoy relies on mining. In so many ways, and bringing in th- this type of platform to that is something that we are exploring now, in addition, as I mentioned before, oil and gas applications that have significant water byproduct is also some an area in which you could see renewable Technology being quite valuable in that area as well. Perhaps even, let's say, a smaller tech, for example. I think a lot of times in hydro, because it is moving parts, it's rotating machinery, you want to have a higher power density to support the kind of capital or capital cost or maintenance cost that might be expected, we see that there's also appetite for smaller systems, systems that might enable uh, more remote activities or even into sustainable building practices or something like that. And then, you know, last but not least, I think there's been a lot of discussion recently around the environmental demands of of the certain emerging industries such as cryptocurrencies and or simply data storage or data processing. And that's an area that I would say we have been certainly approached about serving. And it's something that we are investigating or exploring, but of course, are obviously taking it lightly or being very cautious in those spaces Mm -hmm. as well. Noting, of course, that we do have a responsibility for each and everything that uh, we serve. And so it is a very exciting time. And what we're building is a platform that can be utilized in so many different ways that we're really excited about. Wow,
0: The Opportunity Strike Zone is one of the largest I think we've had on the show today, I think in large part because you've proven, even in your core market today, where you've piloted and have active customers, there is massive potential there. Copy pasting some of the same potential across adjacent markets is, I mean, it's, emergy, let's just say, has a very promising road ahead of it. What I want to do as we close out the conversation is, Actually, take you outside of Emergy. I know you have your hands full, and as you're exploring these different avenues, I'm sure your bandwidth for exploring non Emergy ideas is limited. But my question for you is around this notion of the idea graveyard, right? If you weren't at the helm of Emergy, helping change the world and hydropower, what is one idea that you'd love to work on? if you had the time to do, but for now, it's just rotting away in your idea graveyard?
1: (laughs) Well, um, that's a great question, because I think new things get added to that idea graveyard every day. I am um, an entrepreneur in my blood. And I always have projects or ideas that I'd love to explore one day. And I'll say that what I expect my next idea someday in the distant future to be is probably quite a bit different uh, than the heavy tech. But, you know, having now my son who just turned two and understanding the demands on working mothers, especially when I have a support structure that I feel extremely Fortunate to have with a with a husband who is really born um, to be a caretaker and has been incredible for our son. I can't imagine the stresses on working mothers who may not have a support system like that. And so, some of the ideas that I find myself exploring when I'm you know up late at night, already thinking about the next thing for Emergy is really around different. I would say I would not necessarily call them ventures as much as experiments or other. Opportunities to pilot childcare or even income opportunities or uh, sustainable housing opportunities, particularly for working women who want to be able to. Cornerstone their careers with success in either the corporate or vocational worlds while also supporting and investing into their families. And so that's a really, also a really hard problem to solve that doesn't have clear answers and clear solutions, but it's a passion area for me that I already spend some of my time volunteering in and whatnot. But I think one of the best things that entrepreneurs and business owners can do is to bring that acumen into difficult social problems. And that's an area that I'd eventually love to dig into deeper.
0: Oh, amen to that. Emily, I'd love to roll out the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything that you want to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours.
1: Thank you so much for having me here today. It has been a real joy as a way to start the day. Um, and start the week as well. And I, uh, yes, Emergy is growing. We are hiring. We have several roles open. You can see them on our website and have more that are not posted. And so we'd love to hear from you if uh, joining a team like Emergy that's solving the problems that we are is exciting to you. Of course, we're also always looking for great places to install this technology. That's one of the, I would say one of the challenges with water infrastructure is that it's not well documented where the power resources are. And so if you're aware of opportunities where you think a tech like Emergy's would excel, please also feel free to reach out through our website um, or to me directly and I'll route you to the right place. And then last, I just want to Thank everyone for their time listening and looking forward to growing distributed hydroelectric across the world. Thank you so much, Peter, for having me.
0: Emily, thank you so much for coming on. Congrats on all of your success. I can't wait for conversation number two in a few months where we can hear all the the new product offerings and ways in which you've scaled Emergy into these adjacent markets. Emily, again, thank you for bearing with me early this morning. Hopefully you've got some more caffeine by the end of this conversation down down in your body and you have uh, an amazing week.
1: (laughs) You too. Thank you so much again. Have a wonderful Uh day.
0: Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin, or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.